I'm just a poor wayfaring stranger traveling Welcome to this podcast from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. Faith Bible Church is a Christ-centered Bible teaching ministry dedicated to bringing the good news of the gospel to the whole world. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And now for this week's message. Okay, and continuing with his... uh... Part two of his sermon is, is Tim Lucas from the Colony Christian Fellowship Church. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? I like it. I'm going to get a lot of responses from my sermon today. And if you don't, I know where you live. All right. I like to ask the church how they're doing because the truth is lots of times we're not doing good, but we can always say we have the Lord. And so I say, how are you doing? We can say we have the Lord. And if we have the Lord, we have everything. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray this morning, church. Heavenly Father, God, we just come before you as as your people here on this hill right by Mayberry Park. God, we pray that you would fill our hearts and our minds with your spirit today, that we would be open to hearing your word, that we would be open to seeing who you are and knowing you deeper, coming to a deeper understanding of what it really is you've done and what it really is you're doing and what it really is you've promised you will do. And as we look at this providence of you, we would just respond with, with worship of a God who is so good and so great and so loving. And we would just be filled with inexpressible joy. So God, I pray for everyone here that you would just be with them. Fill their hearts and their minds with your spirit. Anoint us today. Lord God, I pray that you would receive all the glory, praise, and honor from our service today. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So we've been, last week we were, started our series in Romans 8, 28 through uh, 39. And this week we're going to continue that series. I'd like for us to read the word together today as we read this passage. Um. And as you read this, just be praying that God would would help you see his truth here and just build you up. So let's read it. We're in Romans chapter 8, verses 28. And we'll go to the end of the chapter here. Romans eight twenty-eight. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Last week we started this series and we looked at the sovereignty of God. The series, in this series, we're looking at the sovereign providence of God and how it brings us comfort. So last week, we studied the sovereignty of God. And it's really important to know the sovereignty of God if you really want to understand God's providence. Because when we understand God's power, we understand that we can trust Him no matter what. And so today we're going to look at the sovereignty of God and how that applies to his providence. We're looking at the providence of God today. And so what does the term providence mean? We've heard that. That's a Christianese term that we've all heard. The providence of God. I think a good definition of what this divine providence of God means, and we see it in, in the Westminster Confession, we see it all throughout history, it's, it's this declaration, and so I've tried to sum it up as best I can. God compli- accomplishes His divine sovereign will. That's the providence of God. God will accomplish His divine sovereign will. He ensures that all His purposes are fulfilled And he governs the affairs of everything to move us and move everything according to his purpose. So the providence of God is God in his eternal power, in his eternal counsel, in his will, has ordained everything that is going to happen that will happen. And yet he is still not the author of sin. Yet he moves all things according to his purposes. He uses all things according to his purposes. He is in power and he carries out his will. I think the best place to go to understand this is Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. The words of God himself. He says, remember the former things of old for I am God. There is no other like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. So that is God's providence. God in his sovereign power will accomplish all his purposes. He will carry out his will. And it's a powerful, beautiful thing. 
Because what we begin to understand when we, when we look at our verse, our passage today in Romans, we begin to see that his providence, as he carries out his will, it's rooted in his love. He's a good God, as we talked about last week. He is perfect. He is sovereign. He's above all, which means he has to be perfect, which means he has to be good. And because he's good, he carries out his good divine will. And that will is rooted in his love. In fact, you could say God's providence is a beautiful outworking of God's love in the world. But why is it important to understand sovereignty first? It's because we know that sovereignty shows us who God's character is, that he's in complete control. And because he's in complete control, we can understand his providence. In his complete control, he works out his plans according to his will. That's providence. In his complete control, he works out his plans according to his will. Philippians 2.13 declares how this divine providence begins to work in the world. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We begin to see that God's providence is at work in our lives and every step of our life. God's providence is at work. According to his purposes and his pleasure, it's his plan that is at work in the world. And so we see God's providence in action, and as it relates to us, we see his will carried out in a powerful way. A great story of the Old Testament that I've loved since I was saved is the story of Joseph. Do we know Joseph in his robe of many colors? I love that story. I I once prayed when I first became a Christian and first became a pastor, I said, my prayer for this year is that, is that God would be with me like he was with Joseph. I didn't fully understand what I was praying at the time because Joseph went through suffering from the moment he was 16 until he finally left the prison gates. And I guess God pro- fulfilled his prayer to me. <laughs> but in that story of Joseph, I think it's a really beautiful picture of God's providence taking place. See, Joseph, he was sold into slavery by his jealous brothers when he was 16, when he was a kid. Sold into slavery. And he he went from slavery to being the head of his master's house and then being accused again and thrown into prison. And then he was in prison for those years and rose to be the head of the prison. And through that, God worked his providence in Joseph's life. And he moved from prison to being brought before Pharaoh. And by the power of God, he interpreted Pharaoh's dream that there would be, there would be famine, and th- or there would be prosperity, and then there would be famine. And Pharaoh made him second in command of the entire kingdom. So Joseph went from being thrown in a pit and sold to slavery to standing at the right hand of the most powerful person in the world. And you see, he suffered through all those times from from slavery to prison and then to being lifted up next to Pharaoh. And later we love the story because his brothers come back asking the second in command for food because the famine is there and they need help. And they find out that this is Joseph and and Joseph reveals himself in this powerful moment and and he brings his whole family into Egypt. They were starving, lost in, wandering, and he brings them into Egypt. And then years later, after their father died, the brothers thought, okay, now Joseph, he's going to kill us. He's going to get his revenge. 
So they come before him, they beg him, they say, please have mercy on us because (laughs) that's what dad would want. And Joseph says to them in these verses, Genesis 50, the context starts with verse 19, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God to pass judgment on you? Verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish and bring about his will that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So you see, Joseph understood God's providence in his life. God took him from this place of slavery in prison and brought him to a place where he could bring his family into Egypt where they could be protected, they could grow. And we know the nation of Israel grew from that point on to millions and millions and they were able to move from there into the promised land through the guidance of Moses. And we know that they were only kept safe because Joseph was put there. Joseph suffered his whole life, went through these, these tragedies, this, this fire but it was for the plan of God to save the people of Israel, to bring them into Egypt so that they could survive the famine, they could survive for a hundred years, and then they could go into the promised land as a powerful people. And we know that from the nation of Israel, because the line of Judah was redeemed through that act of God in Joseph's life, we have the Savior Jesus Christ from the line of Judah. And so there's this beautiful picture of God's providence that we see in the Old Testament. So God shows us his providence throughout our lives. God showed us his providence to Joseph. He's shown his providence in his plans because if it wasn't for what he did in Joseph's life, his brothers and his family would have died in the wilderness, would have died instead of being saved, redeemed, and even they were put into Egypt, and then they were in more slavery and more hardship, and then wandered in the desert. But God was fulfilling his plan for them to bring a time where Jesus would come, and their Messiah would come, and he would save the world as we believe in him. So we see the providence of God already throughout the story of the Old Testament. And I love those words. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. We see God's providence as he works things out for good. And last week we talked about how that happens in our life. Ephesians 1, 7 through 14 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who, and watch this, works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So even our salvation story, and that's really what Romans 8 is all about. It's about how God has worked out salvation for his people. Even in the salvation story for us, we see his plan. According to his plan, he has saved us. He has lavished upon us the riches of his grace. And we have obtained an inheritance because of it. And so we see the will of God being worked out in our life. We see it through the story of history. We see it happening in our life. This is the providence of God in which we stand. This is the blessed working of God's will. We see it clearly. The providence of God is real and it's powerful, amen? 
God is working out his divine will. And so what does he say that means for us? What is God's providence? If he's working out his divine will, we know he's, he's worked it out in his history of salvation in our lives, and he's worked it out in the lives of his people that's followed him like Joseph. He's working out this divine will. But what does that mean for us today? What does that mean in relation to his people today? And that's what Paul begins to unveil to us in this chapter. Romans 8.31. This passage describes how God relates to us in his providence. This shows, yes, God has his providence. He is carrying out his will. We've seen in scripture, he's carried out his will, even in ways his people didn't understand. He has carried out his will, and he's carried out his will in our hearts. But how does that relate to us? And this passage declares what that means. Romans 8.31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is what it means for God to work out His will in our lives. In those words, God is for us. In His power, we can be confident that God is carrying out His will And this will, as Paul describes here, is revealed to be a loving will for us. God is for us. We stand in God's sovereignty. If we really belong to him, then as he carries out his divine will, the Bible declares that will is for us. Nothing can be against us because God's divine will that is being carried out is for us. Nothing can stand against us because God's will is happening for us. Joshua 1.9. In fact, this was a passage that Alan preached on in his last message. Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We have nothing to fear. Who can be against us if God is for us? Who can be against us if God is with us wherever we go? That's how he's always acted with his people. He is with us. He is for us. And he's with us wherever we go. He's for us wherever we go. So we can have courage. We can be strong as we face this world around us. We can be strong. And so this is the working out of God's will for us. He is for us. That's how That's how Paul describes this right here. He says, what does it look like for God's divine will to be acted in our life? Well, it is God being for us. That's his divine will. God is for us. We read that all throughout the Bible. We all know Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for my God is with me. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God is with us. No matter what we go through, God is with us. That's how we begin to see the providence of God in our life. God is for us and God is with us in our life. That's what Paul declares. God is for us. If he has this divine sovereign will and he says we are his people and he says I am moving my will, I am doing my purposes, I will complete my purposes and here's how you are a part of that. I am for you and I am with you. And we respond saying I will not fear even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death because you are with me. And so God 
working out his sovereign will means that God is for us. And so if God's providence in our life means God is for us, what does that look like? Does that mean if God's for me, I can say, God, you know, I really want that Mustang. You say you're for me. It'd be really nice if I had that V12. What does it look like that when Paul declares here, God is for us, so who can be against us? God is for us. Does that mean every, everything I want, God's going to give me? Does that mean everything I do, God's going to say that will succeed because I'm for you? What does it look like? What are the implications of this truth that yes, God's providence is working his will in our life and that means he is for us? So what does that mean? Paul continues to unveil, I would say, three guarantees or three results of the truth that God is working his will for us. Three results of God working his will for us. The first one we've already touched on, I think it's so, so important that we need to look at it again and look at how this really applies to the providence of God. God is working out his will for us. Here are three results. God has saved us, number one. God's providence means he has provided our salvation. Romans eight thirty two through 34, as we continue in our passage, and this ne- these verses just declare the gospel of Christ. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, the one who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So number one, What's the result? What does it mean to have God working out his will for us? Number one, it means God has provided for our salvation. If we didn't have that, we, didn't, we don't have anything else. If God is just the guy who's sitting on his throne in heaven and giving us what we want or providing blessings in our life or, or being the judge over the world, it doesn't mean he's our God. It doesn't mean we have any relation to him. It means nothing if God is just there. And if we don't belong to him, we don't have anything unless we have Christ. We need Jesus. We don't have anything unless we've been saved. If we're still lost in our sin, we can't even come into the presence of the Lord. In our study today, we talked about this idea that you can't even stand in the presence of God with your sin because he is holy and righteous. And so the Bible declares God came and took our place, that the Father, that God the Father gave his own son, gave him up, and the wrath of God was poured out upon him, and he was condemned on the cross in our place. And that is God's justice. He justified us through the death of Christ on the cross. As our sins were poured onto him, the wrath of God was sentenced on him. The wrath of God poured out upon Christ for our sins. A price we could never pay. 
And because of that, he took our place. Because of that, as he died and as he was buried in the grave, it says that our sins were buried with him in baptism into his death. And when he rose again to life, we rose again to new life with him. Amen? I want to hear it, little brother. Okay. We rose again to new life with him. That is why we can say no one can bring a charge against us because God already brought all the charges against us and put it on his own son. Jesus paid the price we could never pay. And because of that, he stands in our place. He is our intermediate. He is our interceder. He is our high priest who says they are forgiven because they've believed in me. Hebrews 7.25 shows us a beautiful picture of this idea. 7.25-28 Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost, Jesus Christ. He is able to save beyond what you can believe to those who are drawing near to God through him, since he always lives to make an intercession for him. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest as Jesus Christ, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, and he has no need for the high priest of old to offer sacrifices daily, for first for his own sins and then for those people, since he did this once and for all when he offered himself up on the cross. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So this truth is that Christ made the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate atoning sacrifice. That word atonement, we were talking about that today. I love how God works. I come to Bible study and what's being talked about is a lot of what I'm preaching on. The word atonement has the idea of reconciliation. This idea that God is reconciling us to him, but it only comes through propitiation, through a payment. You can't be reconciled to God unless your sins are dealt with. And that's what Christ did. He paid the price. He offered himself up and we are saved. This is God's will towards us as we've seen. This is in his providence. He has said, I will save a people for my own. I will save them. First Peter says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. This isn't on the screen. Sorry, Pete. Don't worry about that. That's just for me. For we were straying like sheep, but we have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. He bore our sins on the tree. He paid the price. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. There's the gospel right there. We are not condemned because Christ took the payment. So we have peace. So God provided for us in our most desperate need, that provision of God as, he, as he's worked his will for us, he did the thing that we needed most. He paid for our sins so that we could stand before him. He reconciled us to himself. That's what we needed before anything else. We needed to be forgiven. Amen. And then, yeah, I like it, brother. And then we can come before the throne where then his glory and his blessings and all that he is is poured out into our lives. So number one, God's providence means he has provided for our salvation and so we have peace. Number two, God's providence means that he is fighting for us through our battles in life. 
that God will conquer for us. Romans 8, 35 and 37 says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ then? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In that verse 35, Paul lists actual material, physical things going on to those Christians who were being persecuted and to us in our lives as we struggle physically in this world. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, the things of life. I know we don't really talk about that idea of famine, but it means things of our life that we don't have, that we struggle without. Nakedness, losing it all. Danger, the sword. Can this separate us from God? No, because the providence of God is working out in our life, it means that he has conquered it. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. John 16, This verse is so important for us as Christians. Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's Jesus' words. When we face these struggles in life, when we face the fires, the tribulation, the sword, the danger, nakedness, famine, persecution, even distress, even when things in our life are breaking apart, we know that God has conquered it all. And so we can take heart. We can have strength in Him. God's confidence gives us joy and hope. His providence gives us joy and hope because we know He has conquered it. Philippians 4.19 says, God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We have joy and hope because we know God is with us in the world. God has taken care of our most important need. He has saved us. And now that we have been saved, we live in this world and his providence has worked out in our life in this world as he's with us every step of the way, as we deal with everything that comes against us, every battle, every struggle. God is with us. God is for us. And so we know he has supplied every need we need. He has conquered because Jesus Christ came, he has conquered. And the most important thing he conquered was death we no longer need to fear death because jesus christ conquered death and in our lives as we live in his new life he has conquered each thing we face we are more than conquerors revelation declares it is the conquerors who will be given the robes of white because we are in christ we are conquerors the bible says it is no longer i who live but christ who lives in me the life i now live in the flesh i live to god by faith Amen? We live in Christ, and so he is at work in our lives and everything we face, and so we have a joy and we have a hope knowing God is there with us in those struggles, in those times when we don't know what's next, in those times when we don't know what to do. We know God is right there with us. God is facing it with us. God has overcome it already. We are conquerors in him, and so we have a joy, an inexpressible joy because of the peace of God. And we have this hope, knowing that he's doing this. Number three, God's providence in our life means he will ensure that nothing will separate us from him. So number one, God has provided our salvation, taking care of us, our most important need. Number two, God is in the process of taking care of us. And number three, God promises that he will ensure that nothing can separate us from him, 
that we will get to that glory. That's what Paul says, Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's providence means he will ensure nothing can separate us from him. So his working of his will in our life, his working of being for us in our life as his providence goes in our life, it's not this idea that God's going to give me anything I call on him for, but he'll give me anything I call on him according to his will. And we know the results of that is that he's provided what we needed most. He is helping us in our daily struggles. We know that it's all according to his plan. And then he promises that he will continue that good work in us and bring us to him in the end. Nothing can separate us. Paul, in verse 38, moves from a place of talking about this world to talking about the cosmic realities of death or life. Death can't even separate you from God. And life can't separate you from God if you belong to him. Angels, principalities can't separate you from God. The enemy can't separate you from God. Nor things present or things to come in the future. Nor powers. Nothing can separate you from God. Not even the heights or depths of anything you can imagine can separate you from the love of God. Anything else in all creation, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God because it was the love of God that redeemed you, that saved you, that is saving you, and that will bring you to that day where your salvation is complete when you stand before the Lord in glory. Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You have confidence that he who has saved you, he who's working in you, that he will continue that good work till that day where you stand in glory with Jesus Christ. That's what's happening. It is a confidence we have that his providence in our life means that he will continue his plan for us. If you are his chosen elect, if you belong to him, if you have given your life to him, you know that you're going to stand with him in glory one day. John 10, beautiful passage. John 10, 14 says, I am the good shepherd Jesus Christ saying these words, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And he continues into verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand and I and the Father are one. Isn't that comforting? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. If we really are his sheep, if we really belong to the shepherd, if we've given our lives to him saying, God, I don't fully understand you, but I know I've sinned and I know you've forgiven me and I just want to belong to you. It says that he sealed you, that he saved you, and that you are his. And even if the one sheep goes astray, it says that the shepherd will go and find that one sheep and bring him back to the fold. I've had those moments in my life where I've been that one sheep who's gone astray, turned my back, said, God, I know you're there, but I can't follow you. I don't know how. And I was one of those sheep 
There's a common understanding that when a sheep kept going away and kept going away and kept going away from the shepherd, the shepherd would keep bringing it back and bringing it back. But if it kept happening, the shepherd would go get the sheep and break its leg and then carry it. As the wound healed, he would carry it on his shoulder, feed it in his hand. And then when it got strong enough, he would put it down. Do you know which one of those sheep was the most loyal to him? It was that sheep that he carried on his shoulders. I was that sheep that God had to go break my leg a couple times. Ask my dad. I was that sheep that God had to break my leg. But now, as he carried me on his shoulder, as he fed me out of his hand, I know who my God is. See, we belong to him. So we have confidence because he has worked out his will in our lives. We know he's saved us. We know he's working in our lives. And we know that he will save us on that day when we come to him. So we have confidence. So this is how Paul lays out this providence of God, the sovereign providence of God. We can have peace, we can have hope, and we can have confidence because of the sovereign promises of God. As he works out his will in our life, We have peace knowing we have been made right with God. So we have peace with God no matter what happens. It can't change what God did on the cross. We have hope knowing that whatever we go through in life, Christ is already there with us. He's already conquered it and he will be with us every step of the way. And that gives us joy. So we have peace, we have hope and joy, and we have confidence knowing that no matter what I face, no matter what I'm going through, God will bring me to that day of glory peace, hope, and confidence. And that gives us comfort. Remember, he can only accomplish his will if he's completely sovereign, and we know he is. And then as he accomplishes that will in our life, we have peace, hope, and confidence in what he's doing, what he's done, and what he will do. And in that, we have comfort, knowing that God's sovereign will, sovereign providence is true. When When Alan passed, as you guys know how much he meant to me, I was, I struggled. That was hard. My heart was broken. I couldn't move. My wife was trying to comfort me. There's not much she could do to comfort me. (laughs) But in that moment, I had to go back to what had comforted me before. My grandma passed away when I was 18. And she had been my best friend my whole life. She had guided me and and taken care of me my whole life. She had been the support to my grandpa in his ministry. And when I had come into ministry, she was the one who mentored me, who who taught me as, as Alan pushed me to go serve at their church. She taught me how to be, how to serve as a missionary. And then she was diagnosed with cancer and died six months later. And I struggled a lot with why did that happen? Why did she take my grandma, who had so much more to do, I felt? And I struggled, and it was hard. And I got bitterness towards God of why did you let this happen? And what comforted me during that time was looking at the providence of God in my life. I saw how he had given me such a great relationship with my grandma 
how he had brought me to that church to learn from her. I thought I was there to help my grandpa because he was getting sick, but it turned out I was there to take my grandma's place and help my grandpa. I saw what God had done as he worked that out. And then I saw even as she passed away, I saw his providence in that of what she, how she built up her family, how she strengthened us, how she gave us passing remarks and how she taught us. I saw God's work in our lives is how she poured into my mom, how my mom poured into me. I saw how God had done all these things, had brought me there. And so when she passed, I, the only thing I could do was just say, God, I see your sovereign providence and I just have to trust in it. And so when Alan passed, it was the same thing. God, I see your sovereign providence. I know it's real. I, I've seen what you've done in our lives, in my life. I just have to trust that this is your plan. I don't know how. I don't like it. But I trust you. And I know you're working out your will because I have those promises. I have those guarantees. I have those results of you working your will out in my life that you've saved me and you saved Alan, that you're working everything for good in my life and that you, on that day, I know I'm going to be standing before you and with Alan. And so I was comforted in that. That's what Romans 8.28 says. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purposes. That's the sovereign providence of God. Because He's in control, because He's our King, our God, our perfect, good, loving God who loves us, He is working out all things for good in our lives for us who are called according to his purposes, as we live this life, as we know God and we seek him more and we try to get closer to him and we take each step as we get to that day where, where we're in the new heaven and the new earth and as we pour out into others, we show the love of Christ, we bring others to him. As we take each step, we know God is at work in our lives. God has saved us. God has redeemed us, reconciled us, brought us into new life and God is gonna bring us into eternal glory. And because of that, we have comfort we have peace hope and confidence and that gives us comfort saying god i don't understand what's going on but i know you are working it out for my good and so i am comforted isn't that amazing that's why god's sovereign providence is so important second peter i want to leave you with these words second peter one three through four says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may be partakers of the divine nature in your life, having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. We are partakers of God. God has entered our heart. He is with us. He is for us. We are a part of the plan of God. And so we have all things that we need in this life because God is with us and God is for us. And we can hold tight to those promises. Amen. God is with us. God is for us. And His will is at work in our lives. And so we can respond and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for showing us your love.
as you work everything together according to your plan. God is for us. Who can be against us? Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, as we as we recite that verse, God is for us, who can be against us? Our response is, nothing is against us. Nothing can stand against us because we stand in your sovereign providence. We stand in your loving will being worked out in our lives. God, help us to seek you more, Lord. Help us to understand your will in our life more. This can go, we can dive deeper and deeper to understand what is God's purpose in each and every individual's life, but we know this truth. You are working out your will in our life for your good, for your purposes, according to your love. And that the ultimate plan of that for us is that you have saved us. You are with us, fighting our battles for us. And that you have completed the work and you have promised, guaranteed that we will stand with you and be saved forevermore. God, thank you for this truth. Help us to know it more. I pray for everyone here that they would hear these words, that they would be encouraged and comforted by this truth that you are working your will out in our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray that you would receive all glory and honor. We pray that we would come before you humbly and say, Lord, how can I submit to your will more in my life? How can I know you more in my life? How can I see what you're doing in my life? And how can I just be filled with that inexpressible joy of your good work as you work all things for good for us who are called according to your purposes? Thank you, Lord, for all you've done. I pray for everyone here that they would be blessed in that truth, comforted in that truth, and built up in that truth. In your name, Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching of God's Word from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you and that the Word of God will fill your hearts and minds as you walk through this world. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would like to make a small donation to help defray the cost of this podcast, just click on the green Support Us button at the top of the webpage. Thank you.